2: Two National Football Show with your boy, Big Sills. Or, to some of you out there, Dan Dancilio. What a great week we had last week. What a great week we have lined up this week. You know, I was I was tweeting over the weekend. Hopefully, by the way, everyone had a great Mother's Day on Sunday, too. One of the most important days there is on the calendar. You know what I'm saying, dudes? The one that keeps the house in order, the one that keeps the schedule going for everyone. Mom, right? The wife. The significant other, the mother, right? She keeps everything in line for all of us, right? So I hope everyone had a really great Mother's Day on Sunday. You know, I was I was I was thinking over the weekend, you know, there's so many great topics going on in football right now. So guess what I tried to do? I tried to watch some NBA. I couldn't. I just couldn't, man. The thing's unwatchable. The NFL and college football noise or storylines in the offseason supersede anything that the NBA is doing right now. I, I, I tell people this all the time. Wake me up in June for the NBA finals because right now you have nothing significant that I care about. Talk about tragedy. Look, when Jordan played in the league, when Bird in Magic, I know I sound like old guy, get off my lawn, dude. But seriously, man, there's nothing interesting about that sport. But football, we dominate, don't we? The littlest stories are getting blown up. Aaron Rodgers, this new T-ball story today. We'll get to that here in a minute. The OTAs that are coming up. What teams did well in the offseason? What teams didn't do well? There's so many great storylines. How about this? All the quarterback conversation. Will Carson Wentz do well in Indy? Will Jared Goff do well in Detroit? Matthew Stafford in Los Angeles with Sean McVay? What the hell's going on up in San Francisco? The NFL has figured it out. They are the ultimate reality television show, and there is no second place. Okay, it's like everyone else right now. Major League Baseball, kind of some storylines. Yankees suck. They're getting better. Whatever. All the big money guys aren't really doing anything for anybody. And here you have football. You know, we're less than like 90 days out from getting into like the Hall of Fame game and getting into Canton and seeing all those great legendary guys finally get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And we're going to get the Hall of Fame game this year, I think, plus a 17-game schedule. College football's on the docket. One of my favorite things is college football. And I love the college game. You'll see that as we get more and more guests on. Kyle Winningham's going to join us this week, the head football coach of Utah. Manny Diaz, also University of Miami. Dan Mullen, Florida. All those guys are going to be joining us this week. So I I love the college game. All right, let's let's transition into what we got going on on the show today. So in this hour, we're going to talk to Hall of Famer Warren Moon. How about this number, folks? If you put Warren Moon's numbers from Canada and the National Football League, he's third all-time having thrown for over 70,000 yards. I don't know. Very few players have ever been inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame and into the National Football League Hall of Fame and into the College Football Hall of Fame when he was at the University of Washington. As everyone knows, he's part of the broadcast team for the Seahawks. He's very close to... Russell Wilson, we'll get his thoughts on that. We'll ask him a couple questions also about what's going on in Green Bay. You think he could possibly land potentially in the NFC West? Maybe somewhere, you know, with San Francisco, move him um, and make some moves to try to get him from Green Bay to come out to the Bay Area. I find it very hard to believe that the Packers want to trade Aaron Rodgers inside the NFC. I find it very difficult. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Warren Moon and get his thoughts. Also, the head football coach of the Indy Colts and the former offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles will join us. Frank and I have been friends for over 35 years, and we go all the way back to our time at the University of Maryland. I've got some great stories with him and Boomer and Holy cow. How about this? These two guys were duct taped to an elevator in Ellicott Hall, When they were going to school at the University of Maryland, I think I got to leave it there if I want to get Frank on. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't believe when we opened the elevator door, there was Frank Reich and there was Boomer Sison. So, Big Seals, maybe what I do is, um, maybe what I do lately is I hold all my friends hostage because I got dirt on everybody. (laughs) So, we'll talk to Frank. That'll be in our number two, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. All right, let's get into the topics of the day. There's so many things to Hammer on here So as I was going on the air I saw that Tim Tebow had signed a contract With the Jacksonville Jaguars Okay Tied in One year deal Okay (laughs) I, I don't know what to make of it He's been out of the game for Over five years now I don't know I mean What do you want me to say About Tebow signing with his buddy What can He's playing a new position Okay So did he play tight end ever, like ever in his life? Like ever? Okay, that'd be a no. So all of a sudden, he's got a skill set to be Zach Ertz in Jacksonville. Okay. Now, by the way, Zach Ertz is a guy that the Jags are targeting. So after June 1, we shall see if that ends up happening. Colts just signed a tight end today. So that leaves very narrow places for Ertz to play, and the Eagles are trying to dump that dude because of the salary that he's going to generate in 2021, I think Jacksonville is going to be a landing spot for him. So you have him and Tebow. Okay, so here, here, let let me give you my assessment of Tim Tebow. By the way, for the record, me being a Hurricane, I still voted for that guy when he was at Florida and gave him my Heisman Trophy vote. I think Tim Tebow, let's think about this for a second. Tim Tebow is he the most popular southeastern conference player in history. Let's think about those gigantic names. Who would you put above Tim Tebow as the most popular player ever to play in the southeastern conference? Peyton Manning comes to mind. Archie? I don't really think Eli at all miss was as popular as his pop and as popular as Peyton Manning. Joe Namath? Okay. Then who? Bo, Okay. Herschel? Okay. I'm trying to think of more guys. Reggie White? Not really. Reggie was more known for what the terror he wreaked in Philly and up in Green Bay. Let's be candid. Reggie was a spectacular player at Tennessee. but <laughs> Reggie was a beast when he was in college, okay? But he was a terror as a National Football League player when he was in Philadelphia with Gang Green and when he went up to Green Bay. he, he It just elevated his game to another level. But Timo's the most popular player in the history of the Southeastern Conference. You think there'll be issues with Trevor Lawrence if Trevor Lawrence and he will play poorly? that there will be those Tebow maniacs, because we all know this. Tebow's got these maniac fans. And even Fred Taylor, who played with Tim Tebow at Florida, came out last week. Well, Tebow never really had a chance, you know, in the NFL. Yes, he did have a chance. He had a chance in Denver. He had a chance with the Jets. He had a chance in New England. Hell, even the Eagles gave him a cup of coffee. They gave him numerous opportunities to prove that he could throw a football. But what did we end up finding out about Tim Tebow? The guy threw wiffle balls instead of footballs. He threw a football like a wiffle ball. I mean, he didn't have a very good arm. He was built for the college game. And for the record, how many quarterbacks has Urban Meyer really ever developed when he was a college football coach? Think of it. Alex Smith at Utah? Is the only guy that comes to mind where I say, okay, well, that guy went into the National Football League and had a solid career. He did. Alex had a solid career. I wouldn't say spectacular. I would say solid career. Tebow didn't have any career. And those stiffs that he had at Ohio State have never has Cardell Jones, remember that dude? Dwayne Haskins. All these guys were uh were Urban Meyer guys. They flopped famously. In the National Football League. So I'm to believe that, all of a sudden, Mr. Guru at quarterback, and that's what he likes to consider himself, Urban Meyer, is some sort of, like, judge of the quarterback talent. I've said this to you before also. I mean, look, Ryan Day and Urban Meyer had Joe Burrow in the building. They had Joe Burrow in the building in Columbus. And they still couldn't evaluate the guy and go like this. Hey, Dwayne. Justin Fields, I know Fields transferred from Georgia, I get it. But you, you, you look over and you do this. Hey man. Um, yeah, uh, you have to transfer and leave. You're not gonna play here at Ohio State. So this guy leaves Columbus. You had the guy. It wasn't like you did it. You had the guy. And you couldn't evaluate it. Ohio State does not evaluate quarterbacks well. It's a fact. And the current coaching staff can't do it. I'm not, this ain't Dan Silio's opinion. That's a fact. You can't show me at, over the last seven years, the quarterback coming out of that place where they evaluated and had some type of sticking power at the next level. Dude, we got guys in the NFL like Nathan Peterman who stink, stick in the NFL. And Ohio State can't put one dude in the NFL but I'm the believe those guys anyway. So, again, this goes back to Tebow, though. Okay, it's his buddy. Now, here's the deal. Giving given locker room seats out and giving lockers to guys who are your buddy, I don't know how that's going to play out inside the locker room because when people know that somebody's in the locker room, and it rarely happens, you, you those seats aren't given out, okay? Everybody has to pull their own weight. Special teams. Now, if that's what Tebow's understanding, that he's going to be a special teams guy. He's going to get a couple reps during games, but he's going to be more utilized being on special teams. And by the way, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Having Tim Tebow on your roster is not a bad thing, especially in Jacksonville. As I said, he's the most popular Southeastern Conference player in the history of the conference. He is. He's the most popular. Um, is he a character guy? Yeah, I'm good with him. He's got a lot of huge qualities. Is he a guy that's going to work hard? Yes. Now, my big question is going to be: Does he have the skill set to play the tight end position? But that's not my judgment. I know. You know, I've, I've gone on the internet at Dan Cilio shows my Twitter page, by the way. And I went over and I was starting to. Why is this guy getting opportunity? Uh, that's a fair question. But guess what? It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. What kind of impact will he have on that Jags team? None. Tim Tebow being on the Jags has no bearing on the success level that they'll have. He's just a dude. Every team has just dudes on the team. How many people can name the 53rd guy on every roster in the NFL? Or the 50th guy? Or the 48th guy? Can you? You probably can't. Hell, I I can't. I can't tell you all 53 guys – on all thirty-two teams. Nor do I want to, and nor do I care to. I don't cover the back end and the one percent of the bottom end of the roster. Those guys are nobodies. Now, if we're fair and we're understanding that that's where he is, he's at the bottom of the roster. Then this is no, this is no worries. And quite frankly, this is no concern of people. He's not going to be a factor. Him being on the team will he be a distraction? No, he won't be, but there'll be distraction in the town. Like the newspaper, if Trevor Lawrence starts struggling, hey man, even though Minshew's in there, they won't, they'll go completely over him. The most popular player on that Jags team in 2021 will be Tim Tebow. I can't believe I'm still talking about this guy. Well, then again, now I'm going to talk about another guy that I can't believe I'm talking about. And you know what that is? It's Colin Kaepernick. There is a conversation here with this. If Tim Tebow's getting an opportunity, and I tweeted this out also, why doesn't why doesn't Jim Harbaugh up at Michigan call his brother up since we're using the buddy system? And why doesn't he call his brother John up and say, hey, why don't you take a look at Colin Kaepernick? I mean, if we're gonna go buddy system here. And, and give him a look. Why not? Well, I mean, what's the what's the issue? I mean, Tebow, he's been out of ball for a while, same almost probably like the same length of time that Colin Kaepernick has been out, right? 16, 17 season, somewhere back in there, right? I don't know. Why don't you give him a look? Well, here's the difference, okay? Tebow didn't really piss the entire National Football League off. And most notably, here's the one thing Colin Kaepernick did that Tim Tebow didn't do. Even though there were questions about the religion and there were questions about how he approached himself, you know, doing the kneeling. It's funny, huh? Both guys kneeled. One guy for religious convictions and the other guy for social justice convictions. Interesting how we looked at both. And one guy getting opportunity to play minor league baseball and the other guy has to be exiled from the sport. And by the way, I'm not doing a political show here. I'm just laying out what I've seen and what I've covered. Okay. I'm not, this is no political side. Personally, I don't give a crap who's on the roster. Can you help us win? I don't care who you are. But there is dialogue here and conversation here. Okay. Tim Tebow didn't piss anyone off. He didn't attack the most important thing that Colin Kaepernick attacked. You know what that was? Advertisers. Nobody's going to be bent in Jacksonville or in the NFL that Tim Tebow's back in the league when it comes to sponsorships. As a matter of fact, it'll probably help the Jaguars. As a matter of fact, it'll probably help season tickets. As a matter of fact, it'll probably help television ratings. Colin Kaepernick will probably help some in television ratings. But when it comes to advertisers, people are going to want to stay as far away from that as possible. And not because they're against Colin Kaepernick, but they're against the controversy. You see, most advertisers, and I'll give you the greatest example of something that I've seen And like one of the longest time, any anybody who's worked their salt when it comes to sports broadcasting or media broadcasting, when you've got these polarizing stories that are out there, you know what most of the good ones do. They stay away from it. You know why I'm trying to attract sponsors. Do you know how you attract sponsorships? You attract sponsors by not having roadblocks. And when you start talking race, politics and religion, It's the fastest way for people to go, boy, he really does a compelling show. It's really awesome. But we're going to stay away from that because you know why? There could be a moment where he trips over himself, and then we're associating ourselves with that show, that broadcast, that team, that player. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to move on to someone who's, what's the word? Safer. Tebow's safer. Kaepernick's not. Colin Kaepernick is not in the National Football League. Because of ability. Okay. Colin Kaepernick's not in the NFL because he scares sponsors. Plain and simple. You think the National Football League gives a rat's ass about that guy's color? Do you think they – you know, and 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 because we're in that society now and we're in that race-baiting society where everyone is throwing race up anytime they possibly can, if you happen to think the NFL has one color, that they're attracted to and it's green no other color they don't care who you are they'll try to monetize every single thing they possibly can if they can being a black quarterback no one cares okay it's about money kaepernick is not in the league because of money sponsorship scaring the sponsors it's the only reason so people are on the internet going And he's trending now. Kaepernick, how come he's not getting... When you ask that idiotic question, you know the answer. But you know what people will do? Oh, it's because he's a black quarterback. The highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL, if you look at them, in the top five, four of them are black. It's got nothing to do with that. Nothing. It's got everything to do with sponsorship. The local sponsorship... Making sure everybody's happy. And when they're happy, they stay away. I've learned this lesson. You know, I used to build my entire sports talk radio show about around race, religion, and politics. Those are the three things right out of the gate that advertisers go like this. (sighs) Especially right now in the cancel culture stuff that we have going on. Woo, man. I don't know. Boy, he's really good. Uh, And as you can see, he gets really great guests, and he knows everybody. But, man, you know, I don't know. I look at a pass he's talked about. People taking 5% of what I said, and they cut it up into all this other beat. Right. No one wants that stuff. That's why Kaepernick's not getting another opportunity. You know, not to dwell on this topic because there's no reason to, but it's trending now, and people want to know why Tebow gets a chance. And Kaepernick doesn't. It's simple. Kaepernick scares people. Okay? When you're race baiting like he does, and Tebow stays away from that, who's going to get the opportunity? Plus, he knows Meyer. Plus, he's in the South. Plus, he's from Jacksonville. Plus, he went to Florida. That's why I said on my Twitter, well, why don't you have Jim Harbaugh call John up? You think that would have been an easy call? You don't think that call has been made in the past numerous times? Why do you think the Ravens didn't move on it? Money. All right, let's move off that. And there is another, and again, I don't, I don't mean to start to show off on these kind of swoopy topics here. I saw something over the weekend that the Chicago Bears got a letter from the National Football League. And they were addressing the vaccinations that they're hoping all the players and coaches will have by the time we get to training camp in July. And I was thinking to myself, so wait a minute here. The National Football League is, are you mandating that every single one of these guys have their vaccination shots by the time we get in the training camp? And are you mandating that all the coaches have their vaccination shots? My first question was, is that legal? Is that okay with the NFL Players Association? This should be up to every single individual and not by the league to mandate this. You can't mandate vaccinations. Because what you're doing is you're playing as a political arm of the government when you're doing that. And I find that, again, for the NFL to go over their skis. The National Football League, when we have domestic abuse charges against players, they think they're like marriage counselors. When we have drug issues in the NFL, like we saw with Josh Gordon or any player that fails a PED case, the NFL then is all of a sudden a drug counselor. The National Football League is a football entertainment property. You're not marriage counselors. You're not vaccination pimps. You're none of those guys. Stay out of the politics. Do you want to end up like the NBA? Stay the hell out of it. You're going to alienate people when you start doing that and you start going public with that. The league, now it's not during the regular season. So this is probably gonna this is probably gonna to sink to the ocean floor here, as long as the league doesn't get over their skis with this. Don't be mandating that these players have to do these vaccinations and then go out and be the Pied Piper to tell people in the public to get shots. That's an individual thing. That's not up to the league to all of a sudden be a megaphone for the White House and for our government. Every American should make their decision how they see fit. I'm not here to tell you what you should do either. I don't tell people how to live their life. I tell people... You have to have your own conversation with your own family, and then you move forward in how you see fit. I'm not telling anybody here, and nor should the National Football League be telling people who to vote for, vaccinations, and all of that. I found that to be a little bit over the line, especially when the Bears got a call and the general manager was getting a call from the league office My question was, where the hell is the NFL Players Association? You should be protecting the rights of people and, more importantly, your privacy on your medical condition or your medical position. You understand your medical position is one of the most guarded and sacred things in our country. You know, making your medical files public like Adam Schefter did when Jason Pierre Paul blew his fingers off and posting those pictures – was one of the most egregious things I have ever seen a reporter ever do, just so he could get the story out. It was absurd. I could not believe ESPN didn't fire that guy's ass for that. Made absolute no sense. And it was over the line. So I hope the NFL backs up on this, but they won't. Because the NFL likes to get involved in everything. Now, the one thing that I will say The protesting and all that stuff, the NFL is backed up, and this is why the league is right now the number one topic when it comes to sports. Nobody's covering the NBA, folks. And the people that are covering the NBA are using it as putty filler. If you tune on a sports talk show in any city and those teams aren't doing well, man, they're just gap fillers. That's all it is. NBA's gap filler. Major League Baseball, maybe a little more. But those two sports are gap fillers. The NFL is king right now. And the topics and the content that it's generating right now, second to none. All right, let's move on to this. John Elway. I I, I sound like a political campaign here. Watch this. John Elway wants you, Aaron Rodgers. He wants you. Words are now that. The landing spot for Aaron Rodgers, if there's going to be one, is going to be the Denver Broncos. Now, could there be an outlier team? Like if you're Sean Payton, again, this is NFC. I find it very I find it very hard to believe that the Packers want to start in the NFC with teams. Now, look, here's what I would do. If I had Aaron Rodgers as pissed off as he is right now and the Packers want to move on from him, I wouldn't care what conference – I might care the division. I'm not going to go and trade this guy inside the NFC North to the Bears. I get that. I'm not doing that. However, I think if you're Mark Murphy, the president of the Packers, don't you do this. Okay. What teams have the most assets? I look around the league and I think the Dolphins have assets. The Jets have assets. Um, Teams like that. You start there. But then again, too, since this has been an adversarial relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, do you really want to make that guy feel comfortable in the fact that he's trying to force his way up? I'm not so sure Aaron is. I think Aaron, I'm not sure, Like, and I've said this before, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers really has the stomach for this. So, I mean, I'm a little bit kind of like, I'm still over here going, I don't know, man. Is this guy going to want to be the jackass that he has to be if he wants to get the hell out of Dodge? You know, I mean, does he really want to be that dude? I'm still debating whether or not he – because, you know, he does have a brand. He's got that All-State insurance thing that he does. I mean, he is a very good host for Jeopardy. One would shock me if they ended up giving him the job. You know, he had the highest ratings, okay? Okay, he had the highest ratings, I just don't know, but I think it's Denver. All right. I want to catch up with my friend Warren Moon. We'll expand a little more on this way. I think Denver is the right spot. And we'll talk a little Seattle Seahawks with our friend Warren Moon. Keep it right here on the National Football Show.
3: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
4: Field of life First trust bank is there for you
5: Seven, four, three. One, two, three.
4: because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical
0: Workers Local Union 98 is a proud sponsor of the labor show with J Doc and Crousy every Saturday night from 6 to 8 pm. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW IBEW. Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
6: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
5: Jody Mad. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network.
2: Welcome back to the National Football Show. Dan Silio here, and, man, we got a packed show for you later on in the program. We have Frank Wright, the head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts, but right now we have our friend Warren Moon, Hall of Famer, Canadian football, uh, national football, and also college football. Dude, I mean, <laughs> it's the greatest intro for anybody. I think I, I – I mean, Coach Johnson just – Jimmy Johnson just got elected into the Hall of Fame. I'll ask you, I've never asked you this question. Warren, what are you more proud of? What Hall of Fame being involved in?
7: You know, all of them. It, it doesn't matter. Whenever you uh, play whatever level that you play at and, and you're considered one of the best to ever play at that level, that that right there says it all. It doesn't matter what level it is. I even got inducted into the uh, California High School Hall of Fame, and that's something I'm very, very proud of because of all the great high school players that have played in California. So... Uh, it really doesn't matter when you're singled out in groups like that. It, it's quite an honor. It's very humbling. And uh, I cherish them all because that's not something I I started out wanting to do. It wasn't a goal of mine to be in a Hall of Fame of anything. It was just to be able to compete and play and win and try and win championships. But uh, all those things come along with it.
2: You know, Warren, I'm going to tell you my favorite with you. I think it's the College Football Hall of Fame. And I'm going to tell you why. I remember you in that Rose Bowl game. It was one of my very first games I ever watched. And by the way, I went and saw you play my very first college football game when you guys, I believe, played Indiana. And I, 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 have, I have never in my life ever thought that after what I saw with you with the Huskies, I'm thinking to myself like this, okay, Hall of Fame college football player, you were told you were never going to make it in the NFL – Your journey was to have to go and play with the Eskimos in Canada. For you to be a college football Hall of Famer with all the things that you went through and all the things you must have went through during that time as an African-American quarterback in the college game, I I mean, that journey, I, I get the NFL too, Warren, the black quarterback. I've had conversations with our friend Doug Williams on this. But man, being a college black quarterback back in those times and then winning a Rose Bowl like that, what a journey that must have
7: been. No question a great honor, uh, Dan. But uh, you look at the College Football Hall of Fame, there's a lot of African-American quarterbacks in it. You know? <laughs> Pro Football Hall of Fame, I'm the only one. So I'm, I'm waiting on another one to join me some, sometime one day. Hopefully, you know, Randall Cunningham or Donovan McNabb or Steve McNair or somebody like that gets a chance to get inducted because I'm the only one right now. And it, it, it's, it's an honor to be the only one, but I'd love to have one of my uh, – one of my brothers in there with me.
2: I never realized that until you just brought that up right now, that you're the only African-American Hall of Famer in Canton. That's crazy. You're in there with my well, uncle, Andy Robostelli, too. So, I mean, that's incredible. Let's get into some of the conversations here with the Seahawks. Warren's also part of the broadcast team for the Seahawks. Um, You think all the noise that went on in the offseason for Russell, Um, is this just business Warren, that, you know what, the players aren't going to care when they all get together for OTAs and they get ready for a training camp in July. You think this is just business and no one really cares?
7: You know, there could be some some uh, extended hurt feelings from this. Uh, I think Russell was just expressing some of the things that, that a lot of people, you know, feel sometimes, but you just can't let those things get public because you can't ruffle some feathers, you can't hurt some feelings when those things do get public. And he's been so careful about not making any comments that have been controversial in the nine years that he's been here. Uh, It was surprising that he let something like that out uh, publicly. But he was asked a question and he answered it honestly. But sometimes you can't answer all questions honestly because you have a lot of things that you have to consider uh, when that happens, especially in the day we live right now where every little thing that's said is just blown way, way out of proportion. So fortunately, Russell and the Seahawks have gotten back on the same page the Seahawks have listened to some of the things that Russell's had concerns about. They brought in some really good players in the offseason. They've signed back some really good players in the offseason. You know, they bring in Gabe Jackson to, to uh, replace Mike Cupati at the left guard spot. So you, you talk about a really strong side of that left side of the line with Dwayne Brown at the left tackle. Uh, I think if um, a couple of those young guys come along uh, it, on the offensive line, I think they're really going to have a, a pretty a decent offensive line uh, this this coming year just because uh, these guys are getting a chance to play now like Damian Lewis. He was a, a rookie last year. He has a lot of promise, but um, he was only a rookie. So I think between his first and second year, he's going to be that much better a player. And then Brandon Shell, who played at the right tackle spot, I think he's going to be very good for him again this year too. So th- they have a chance to be solid up front. They bring back Chris Carson at the running back spot. Hopefully Rashad Penny uh, can can uh, get back to his old self after having major knee surgery coming back from that last year. Uh, I think having, uh, having had a whole year now, I think he'll be much better this year. So there's a lot of promise on this Seahawks football team, a team that people forget won 12 games last year and uh, had a chance to win their division.
2: So you look at their offseason as being a very productive one. I wonder how much of it was also the noise or was this all always going to be a plan? Because the way Pete Carroll – has done business. He's always addressed the needs on the football team. Obviously, he's got an, he he's got a love for that side of the football on the defensive side, but getting, like you said, the offensive line. Um, I saw DK Metcalf too, man. That dude can burn, man. I'll tell you. 10. I, you know, I I I saw him and I wanted to watch it. I don't think people understand. That guy's like 230 pounds and he ran a 10-3-7, man. I mean, that's, that's moving, man. So that you is, feel pretty is, good about it, right?
7: That's flying. When you're running 22 miles an hour or whatever they, they clocked him at, uh, that's a lot of speed for a big man like that. So I um I appreciate the fact that DK just went out there and even competed with these guys who do this for a living and do it each and every day just to, just to compete and see where he stands with some of the fastest uh, runners in the world. And uh, he held his own in that. So – he, just think if he was a guy that did this every day and, and got his weight down, maybe you know another 15, 20 pounds, he'd be running right with those guys. So uh, I, I like what he's doing. All it's going to do is help him as far as his confidence. And um, it also shows those other DBs around the NFL. Man, this guy has some speed. I, I got to give him some room.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. He's a big horse, too, running down that sideline. Let me ask you this quick. Warren, you, you had to move. To numerous teams, you think Russell Wilson retires, you think the Seahawks want him to be a Seahawk forever, or that's just not feasible in today's NFL?
7: Well, you know, he's only been here nine years, so there's still a lot of time left. You look at Aaron Rodgers right now, he's at 16 years in in Green Bay. I think that's why you're starting to see some of that start to unravel, that he's been one place for a very, very long time. Tom Brady goes 20 years in New England. Uh, That's a long time to be one place. I don't think anybody's ever been one place that long. So he finally moves on. So Russell still got some time left. I'm sure the Seahawks would love to have Russell finish as a Seahawk. But again, this is a business. So when it gets down to the business and it gets down to how you're performing when you get into your later years, that's going to determine whether you uh, stay with a team or not. And if you're ready to retire when they're ready to, for you to retire, and if you're not ready to retire, then that means they might want to get rid of you, then you have to go somewhere else. So it, it, it just, that's how it all plays out. We don't see many guys stay with one team their whole career.
2: Pete Carroll, how many years you think he's got left there in Seattle? I mean, look, I, I, I tell you, Warren, every time I watch this dude, he runs around like he's the youngest guy on the field when he's a coach. I mean, I he know. doesn't look his age. He's He's like tipping at seventy now. I mean, you think this guy has a couple more years still to get this team back on track to where it's a Super Bowl contending team again?
7: You know, I keep watching what he eats for breakfast and what <laughs> he. You know, I want to. I want to learn the formula of what gets this guy up and going every day. But uh, I think he, you know, he just signed an extension, so he, he plans on being here, you know, at least three or four more years. And I can see him doing it because of, like you said, the energy that he still brings to the table. And I think that has a lot to do with coaching. Most coaches get to a certain point and they get burnt out. I don't see any burnout in this guy right now anytime soon. He just loves doing what he does, and he loves bringing in young guys. And I think the young guys keep him motivated as well. So he has a great combination on this team of of young talent and some veteran talent, and I think that's what keeps him going, making sure he brings that young talent up to the level of his, uh, of his veteran players.
2: You did mention, I want a couple questions here on the NFL, a couple last questions here for you, Warren. Um, you just mentioned Aaron Rodgers. I mean, God, I, for the life of me, this guy's 26-6 and six in two years, and I know you respect this number I'm going to throw at you more than maybe any number he's ever had. This guy's like 48 touchdowns to five picks. That differential, I've never seen that. Like before in history, when you have that kind of number, are you shocked the way this thing is unraveling in Green Bay?
7: Yeah, I really am. And, and uh, that's what happens when things get public, because when it gets public, it just takes on a life of its own. And I can see Aaron maybe being upset about certain things, but you keep those things in-house and talk to management behind closed doors and vice versa. If they have any problems with Aaron or what he's doing, uh, you talk about it as as grown men uh, behind closed doors and keep it out of the public. That way it doesn't take on a life of its own. So that's the only thing I'm really concerned about uh, with the whole situation that it hasn't, that it's become so public and is talked about each and every day. And now you're going to be on the defense all the time. The, the organization's on the defense. Aaron's on the defense. His people are on the defense where this should have been handled like business people behind the scenes. And then they could have worked this thing out. So um, Again, 16 years is a long time in one place. Uh, Maybe Aaron's just getting a little bit tired of the the situation around there. But he does have a really good football team. And when you start looking around the league, it's like, okay, where am I going to go where I'm going to be as good as where I was in Green Bay? There's not a lot of spots out there.
2: Warren, did you ever have to force your way out of a place? And when I say this, because like you said, I mean, if you're going to talk, you're going to get your old agent, Lee Steinberg, and you guys are going to try to hammer something out to try to get Uh, something resolved here. And that was just a different style back then. But did you ever have to ever like be the bad guy? And this is where I'm going with this. If Rogers really wants Green Bay to trade him, he's going to really have to be a villain to really. And I don't know if he's got the stomach for that, because as you know, the face of the franchise is the quarterback. It's not the general manager or the president of an organization. You're going to get the heat publicly for you forcing your way out. I'm just wondering, I mean, does that go into consideration when you're trying to say these guys just don't have enough talent? What do you say we go to another opportunity here? H- how much do you have to think about that when you're trying to do a plan like this?
7: You've got to think about everybody involved because it's not just about you. you got to think about your football team. When you say we're not good enough, or I need to go somewhere else where we can be better. You're telling your, your, your locker room that you guys aren't good enough for me and I want to find somewhere that's better. So those are the things that you worry about. Just like when Russell says, I want to get hit less. Well, you're talking almost right to his offensive line saying you guys aren't good enough. And those, those uh, become problems. And, And you have to solve those problems when you go back into that locker room. So, Aaron Rodgers has got to worry about that as well, even though he hasn't said anything publicly yet, but it's all come from his camp. Uh, so those, those are things you have to be conscious of all the time. The only time I ever had to try and force my way out of anywhere was when I was in Canada. I still had time enough on my contract and we negotiated my way out of it so I could come to the NFL because I felt I was ready to, to play. And there were a lot of teams that wanted me to come down here and play, but never had to do it in the NFL. But I did understand the the business of football in the NFL that I went to six straight Pro Bowls in Houston, but I got traded to Minnesota because, uh, of the salary cap and and I was getting older in age and they thought just like with Aaron Rodgers, they, they had another quarterback ready to go. Didn't know how much longer I was going to continue to play at a high level. So they traded me. I understood it, but I didn't agree with it. And I ended up playing seven more years, uh, went to four more Pro Bowls and, um, and the guy that they replaced me with played one year and hurt his knee and was out of football. So you, you never know what's going to happen when you make those decisions. But I understand why they would make that type of decision. Here I am, 37 years old. They're figuring how much longer can he play.
2: Finally here, um, you know, Tom Brady, and he goes public, not really vocally, though. Like, you make the point, wasn't really vocal about wanting his uh, pass out of New England. And I liked how the Patriots handled it, Warren. What they did was they kind of stepped back and let him handle it in a way. He went to Bob Kraft. He started saying that he doesn't want. They never put a deal in front of him, but it was more of an easier transition for New England. But Brady made it very public. There's just not anything really left in New England, and the cabinet wasn't, wasn't, wasn't stacked. Do you yeah. think Brady doing all of this, Warren, do you think it's led to uh, Russell Wilson being public about – wanting to get the team. Like you said, this offseason, they really did a nice job. And maybe even Aaron Rodgers uh, going public. you think Brady's had that influence on the market?
7: No question about it. I mean, when when players see what he's been able to do going from one team to another and winning a Super Bowl, the influence that he's probably had on some of those signings that uh, came into Tampa Bay once he got there, uh, some of the free agents, the way they drafted last year, all of that uh, had a, a direct reflection on, on – uh, Tom Brady. So I'm sure the these guys are looking at the same thing and see the results, but there's there's only so many situations out there like that. First of all, Tom Brady was a free agent. So he's not under contract. He's not trying to get himself out of a situation, get traded or anything like that. He was free, so he could do what he wanted. He could sign back with New England or go to any team he wanted to go to. He chose Tampa because Tampa was loaded. That football team was ready to win. They just needed somebody like him to be able to to bring it all together because on the defensive side of the ball, they were one of the best defenses the year before they had unlimited offensive talent. Then you bring him in with a couple of more pieces like Gronk and, and Antonio Brown and that this team was ready to win. There's no situations like that out there right now for, for an Aaron Rodgers to go to. And plus he's got to try and, and get out of his contract or get traded to somewhere where Green Bay is going to get what they want in return. So the situations are totally different. And I think that's why Tom has such great success. He handled it the proper way.
2: Hey, finally here. I, I heard all my friends in Houston saying your golf tournament was a massive success. There, everybody had a killer time. People were calling my national radio show, going, "Hey, man, I signed up for that thing." There's got to be something else that the Moon Foundation's working on right now, or you're knee deep in because you give back so much, Warren. Yeah, well, we just
7: got done with that one, so we're, we're going to take a little breath. You know, <laughs> those tournaments take a lot of work, uh, a lot of time and energy, and and everybody's just kind of. Uh, you know, just kind of exhaling and seeing what we're going to do next. But it was a great success. Everybody had a great time. This was our first year doing this tournament, and um, we're looking forward to growing bigger and better next year. And we gave out five more uh, college scholarships to uh, young kids there in the Houston area to go to college who come from single-family homes. So, I mean, single-mom homes. So that's something we're very proud of.
2: Man, absolutely, man. You're one of the greats of all time and one of the great people. You remind me so much of my friend. I want to show you this here. I gotta show you my 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 one of my dearest friends here is Leroy Solomon and him and I go back a long way and I say this I say this about you Warren. You know, I used to say this about Leroy to him, dude. You're such a great guy. You're a better dude than football player, and that's amazing. But those are always the great friends to have. And I can't tell you how I value our friendship. Thank you so much, Warren. Dan, anytime you need, man,
7: you know that you do a great job, and I'm glad. I'm I'm just so happy that you just keep moving up and moving up and moving up, man. You're doing nothing but uh, progressing, and that's what life's all about.
2: Thank you so much, man. Those are such kind words. Thank you very much, Warren Moon, Hall of Famer, and truly one of the great Hall of Fame people. All right, we're gonna take a quick time out You keep it here on the National Football Show.
3: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way.
4: Field of life First trust bank is there for you because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local Union 98 is a proud sponsor of the
0: labor show with J Doc and Crousy every Saturday night from 6 to 8 pm. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
6: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
5: B-A-T-L-E-S-E-O. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
2: Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy, Big Sills, Dan Cilio. Well, to come on the show, we will have the head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich, the former OC of the Philadelphia Eagles. He'll join us in the next hour. It's interesting what Warren Moon just said about Russell Wilson. You know, and I, I, I put this out there too, and I, I think it was really something that we're going to have to keep an eye on as we get into the 2021 season on how this whole thing progresses. Between Pete Carroll, the roster, the locker room, and the quarterback. Because remember something here. So Russell Russell goes on, I think it was the Dan Patrick show, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm mistaken here, forgive me on this. Um, I'm tired of getting hit. It was kind of like the first shot across the bow. And you heard Warren just say, well, you're taking a shot at your old line. I'm sick of getting hit. You're basically saying your old line sucks. Those guys, they get paid just like you. They go to the same practice as you do. They're going through all the physical training that you do. You guys are in this thing together. We're all rowing in the same direction. And when you got one guy sitting over here going, those guys suck. It's me over here now. How is that going to play out? Now, look, the quarterback is the head dude. Everyone knows. The guy in the room, you know, they know that the guy kisses all the cheerleaders, cashes the gigantic paychecks, all that. No one no one disputes that. And if you don't understand that, then guess what? Then you don't know the landscape of the National Football League. NFL quarterbacks, even if they stink, are here and you're down here. Just what it is. Those are the guys that have all the television cameras on them at all times. Those guys are the face of the league. We all get it. But you also have to understand, Monday through Saturday, the cameras aren't on you. And you start going like this, you know, I'm getting hit. There's really not a lot of talent on the team, skill set-wise. I disagree with that. Okay, and I do, and I agree with Warren. I think they really had a great offseason. Now, has their drafting been great? Absolutely not. Rashad Penny stinks. That running back they got out of San Diego State? He can't catch the ball, and the most important thing that he cannot do, you know why he does not play? I think he was drafted somewhere in the 20s. You know why he can't play? Because he can't pick up pass protection. The number one problem that you get when you have a running back go into the NFL and he's not used to being in a pass probe offense is can this guy protect the quarterback? Remember something. You know, I, I and, and I say this with all due respect. When you got a guy like Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, they're only asking that guy not to turn the ball over. They're not asking that guy to throw 30 times in a game. That that playoff run they had a couple years ago when they went to the AFC championship, what what did he complete, like nine passes? No one cares. That guy can get killed. But when you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, and you drop back 35 times a game, and your running back is missing – Uh, Blitzers, and he's not understanding pass protection, that guy's not playing. They'll put a fifth-rounder or a free agent in before they end up putting anyone else back in. No no matter how gifted and no matter how talented you are as a runner, if you've got a big-time quarterback back there and you can't pick up pass protection, playing on first and second down, you're not going to play. You're just not going to play. So you have to understand that. And they haven't really drafted all that hot there at that position. And if they're going to be a true contender for a Super Bowl, that team's got to kind of resemble some of the things that they're doing in both Green Bay and in Baltimore. Wilson is a fantastic passer. He has absolutely exceeded all the things that we thought he was going to be when he came out of NC State slash Wisconsin. Has he exceeded them? Absolutely. Remember how they got him in the league? They drafted him. He ends up going to that Rose Bowl with Wisconsin. They told him, get this, the coach at NC State told Russell Wilson, "Eh, we're going to go with Mike Glennon. Who? Mike Glennon? Yes, that Mike Glennon. The colossal flop signing um, in Chicago, and that dude that played in Tampa, he stinks. That's the guy that got the job over Russell Wilson at NC State. Then he gets drafted by the Seahawks, I think in the third round. And they signed some guy named Matt Flynn or somebody. He backed up uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Not Aaron Rodgers. He backed up uh, Farver. Think Farver Rodgers. I forget which one. But he, he comes into one game. He throws for like 400 yards. Even Joe Philbin, the then coach of the Dolphins, said, I don't think so. Joe Philbin was a quarterback coach up in. Green Bay at the time when that stiff was up there. And the Seahawks signed him to a $17 million contract, giving him like $8 million in a signing bonus. And they realize that guy stinks. Wilson beats him out. You know, Russell Wilson has not had a losing record since he's been a starting quarterback in the NFL. So Russell Wilson is one of those special dudes, man. Got to protect them. You got to put components around them still. They need a running game, man. They need to get back to having a dude like Beast. Hey, when were they good? Yes, the Legion of Boom on the other side of the football. Absolutely. I get it. But they also had had Beast Mode in the backfield. Marshawn Lynch ran the leather off the football. They put that football team consistently in third and short. The Seahawks were third and short. And third and long on defense consistently. That's the remedy and the secret sauce of winning football games, friends. Take a look at your football team. Two stats you need to look at. Is your team constantly third and short offensively? If they are, they're a nine to an 11 win football team. If your defense is in third and long the whole time, your football team's a five and. Your football team is between four and seven wins when you're constantly in third and long, okay? Your defense has got to have that thing in short yardage. I mean, long yardage all the time, and your offense has got to be in short yardage. That's how you win ballgames. And that's what the Legion of Boom and that Seattle team was. They were consistently in third and short. Give it to beast mode or open up the playbook. Having Russell Wilson sprinting out, moving out in the perimeter, Hitting hitting tight ends, and that defense on the other side was bringing blitzes. They were they were doing all kinds of exotic blitzes and coverages because they had all kinds of dudes back there. Cam Chancellor, all them guys, man, they were talented in the secondary. And you know what? The coolest thing about it all was look at where they found Chancellor in the rounds. That they found some of these guys. They found him in the latter rounds. Because Pete Carroll had done a great job of recruiting when he was at Southern Cal. He knew where all the talent was based around the country. We had that conversation with Jimmy Johnson a few um, weeks ago when Jimmy was telling one of the greatest advantages that I had when I came into the National Football League was that I recruited every kid in the country. I knew who they were. We didn't land all the kids, but I surely knew who was good and who wasn't. This guy may not be six foot three, he's six two. No one cares about that anymore. The top defensive, you know, who the top defensive football player in the NFL is right now? He's six feet, 271 pounds. You know who that is? It's Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's six feet tall. And he's 6'1 on a good day. And that guy plays not linebacker, not in the secondary. That guy plays defensive tackle. Your deep number one defensive football player, six feet two seventy, yeah, okay. Back in the old days, that guy's not playing in the NFL. They're gonna look over him, literally over him. They're not putting him in. And when you're a great talent of value, they got a guy in that Seattle team. I forget what the, his name is. He, I forget, and it escapes me. The nose tackle. I think it's Poe. He's 5'11", 325 pounds, got him out of Texas. I mean, no one looks at height and weight anymore. They look at production. And that's what makes Carol a fabulous, fabulous talent evaluator. That's what made Jimmy a fabulous talent evaluator. It was all about production. Plain and Simple. It was all about production. All right. I'm going to hit on the five teams that I saw this offseason that got better. And these will be my five. And these are the five that I think going in are your favorites to win the Super Bowl. Frank Wright will join us in this upcoming hour here. You keep it right here on the National Football Show.
3: Welcome to the Wildwoods.
4: field of life first trust bank is there for you
5: Seven, four, three. One, two, three. because
4: philadelphia dreams deserve a philadelphia bank the international brotherhood of electrical workers local union
0: 98 is a proud sponsor of the labor show with jay Doc and krause every saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at ibew98.org.
6: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
5: Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
2: here on the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. We will have Frank Reich, the head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts in this hour. Appreciate you guys all jumping aboard with us. And by the way, what a way to kick off the show the last couple days, man. We've had some really great folks on the program. Tomorrow, we're going to have Dave Wanstead from Fox Sports on with us, the former defensive coordinator under Jimmy Johnson with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, does college and pro football, works the pregame show for Fox, and we will have him on tomorrow, and we'll talk some NFL football with him, and we'll get his thoughts on the upcoming college football season as well. And we'll talk with Kyle Whittingham, the head football coach of Utah. Um, I think the Utes and Oregon are probably your two best football teams right now in the Pac-12, I believe on Wednesday also. We're going to be catching up with Dan Mullen, the head football coach of the Florida Gators, too. We'll get his thoughts on Kyle Pitts. I think that dude's the best player that was taken in the NFL draft 2021. I think he's a special talent. I think he was the best player in the Southeastern Conference, and that includes all them Bama dudes, man. That guy is a freak show. He is an absolute freak show. I mean, hit the, the ability to have to put – now, do you put a linebacker on him? He'll outrun him. If you put a strong or free safety on him, he's going to run him over. You can't put a corner on him because he'll demolish him. He's a complete mismatch. I can't wait to see how the Atlanta Falcons are going to implement him. That'll be the big key here, too. Now, he's got a quarterback to throw him the football. But that's one of the players that I can't wait to see this upcoming NFL season. One of the rookies that was drafted number four, I believe it was, by the Falcons. All right. You know, I tease coming into this segment here the teams that I thought did the best job in the offseason. By the way, in this hour, I'll talk about the teams that I still think have no chance. No chance whatsoever at being a playoff team. You see, I'm not going to say Super Bowl team because, look, when you say Super Bowl roster today on May 10th, okay, that's cool. But we all know this. The war of attrition plays a factor in any analysis on how you – are going to look at a team for an upcoming football season. That's why when people give you, well, this team right here should win the Super Bowl, well, you're, you're not taking in the war of attrition. Guys get hurt. People in a division get hurt. Major injuries happen to major players, and it changed the direction of every single franchise every single year, correct? I mean, Garoppolo goes down, and that Super Bowl roster that the 49ers had a year ago did not look anything right. They could barely get out of their own way. They waved the white flag early when they knew they didn't have a quarterback to win ball games, and they're waving the white flag, and that football team kind of imploded on itself as we get towards the end of the year. They were consistently injured, and they didn't have the signal caller to get them across the finish line. So we all know that the quarterback position is going to be a factor all year long and on some teams more importantly than others. Okay. Here are the teams, and I'm going to work my way back. And I'm going to look at the teams that I truly think that ended up getting better. And the teams that I look at and how I evaluate football teams, I evaluate teams folks by the teams that did the least, not by adding the most that never pans out, never pans out when you start adding. And I, and I always bring up this. Um, I always bring up this example the year that the Eagles brought up all them guys, Joe Banner was in the house for the Eagles and they had Namdi the awesome Wad, and Vince young. And they signed all them guys. They had a nine and seven season. And within a matter of three years, that thing was completely on vapors and it got Andy Reed fired too. Okay. All those guys, what they call it like the, the, the super team, the dream team, something like that. You can't have dream teams in the NFL. There's no such thing. Your, John Lynch told me this years ago, and I and I understand it now. Lynch said, "Anytime you have a football team that has numerous moves on it, you're never going to get the best football the first year that those players got." That's why what the Bucks did with Brady is incredible. But you never get the best out of that free agent player because when he goes to a new destination, especially guys that have been in a building for such a long period of time. What you never get is the best football because watch, watch what you're doing here. You're putting a brand new uniform on. You're putting new gear on. You're learning a brand new playbook. And the playbook is like learning Portuguese and French. It's completely different. What does a three technique mean here? Might mean something completely over here with a brand new defensive scheme. Okay, or you're going to a 43 front, four defensive linemen versus three defensive linemen. Maybe they're trying to utilize you in a different way, putting your hand down, keeping you up, standing up. If you're an outside defensive end. So your you're head's on a swivel and you're doing this. Did he mean three technique or two technique? You see, when you're in the defense, man, when I was in a defense for a long period of time, I could close my eyes and go like this and know exactly what was coming at me. Okay, so I feel pressure here. That means this, scoop across, try to get out. The guy's trying to get to my outside and they're trying to get outside. Or if I see, watch this, a guard go inside, tackle go here, look back inside because it's a trap. This is all done with repetition. This is all done with knowledge of knowing what you're doing. I'll give you another great example. I think you guys will love this story. So years and years ago, I had a chance to go down to the keys and coach Belichick was down there with Jimmy Johnson. And I asked Bill how he attacks certain teams. I guarantee you what I'm going to tell you, you've never heard him say ever anywhere else. And so I was sitting there thinking, okay, well, coach, how do you attack a certain team? He goes, what we do. We'll take a look at the film and we'll look at all those new free agents. And we'll pick the guy out who understands the least about his current responsibilities on what that scheme is asking him to do. It's not anything to do with names on the back of the Jersey. Bill finds the guy who has the least amount of experience and the least amount of knowledge of what he's being asked to do. And that's usually free agents. What I just told you, Bill attacks weakness and knowledge, not weakness in play, but weakness in knowledge. And so when you find that guy, this guy doesn't understand what he's doing. You see how he's playing too tight to the line of scrimmage, Tight end getting to the seam there. He can't cover a tight end. That's why Gronk will line up on some of them linebackers when you see the seam, and the seam is, is the uh, hash marks and you put him on the hash, linebackers can't deal with that because Gronk's 6'9", 6'8", he's 265 pounds, and he eats those guys for lunch. And so you put him on. That's why the Patriots were great at moving guys around. They moved Gronk, and when they had Aaron Hernandez on the team, they moved those guys, and they would have matchups based on knowledge, not on how good the guy was. Guy could be one of the greatest players in the history of the game, but he's a free agent going into a new destination. <sighs> I'm sorry, man. You're still going to not know what you're doing. You're going to get away with it because of some of the things you do mechanically and technically. But when it comes to scheme-wise, this is why when Junior Sale went to the New England Patriots years ago, he wasn't able to really fit into that system because he broke scheme. And Rodney Harrison would constantly be in his ass. Rodney Harrison used to get in his ass when they were in San Diego because Junior would break scheme. Can't break scheme in the NFL. Coaches and offensive coordinators and play callers that really have a great sense of the game, they'll know that. You'll have a spotter up in the booth, okay, and you'll hear a guy get into the head coach's ear going, hey, they just had an injury at that corner spot. You might want to take an out route and see if this guy's able to cover him. And that's why all of a sudden you'll see the Patriots go five consecutive plays at one guy. Till he stops them, they're gonna to continue to go there. So back full circle here, the teams that make the least amount of moves are the teams that are going to have the most success. Why? They have knowledge of what they're being asked to do. You're in a comfort zone. You understand that that is exactly what's being asked of you. You know the technique. You know the scheme. You know what you can and can't get away with. You've done it for 10 years practicing the same stuff. Repetition, 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 repetition. When you're a new dude, that's why all these guys make it. How many years have we watched the Washington football team thing implode on itself because they bring new players in every year? They don't know what they're doing. It's not that they're not good players; they don't know what they're doing. There's no core. There's no. There's no core group of dudes that the veteran guys coming in as free agents can lean on. Just what it is. See, when you're in college, <laughs> I could run anyone over. When you're in the NFL, hey man, when you're in the NFL, it's all technique. I got into the NFL. Everybody bench five hundred pounds. I got in the NFL, everybody ran four eights. I got in the NFL, everybody was gifted skill-wise and technically. Oh, my God. You see, in college, like I said, I can arm wrestle you to death. Doesn't matter. You're not arm wrestling anybody in the NFL. You have to be people with knowledge, and you have to be people with schemes, and you have to be people understanding the technical part of the game, the techniques. There's a reason why you line up on a three technique versus a head up on a zero or you're inside on a one technique or you're in a five position out here on defensive end and you've got to run the hula hoop and you've got to get around the corner. There's a reason you're doing that. There's a reason that quarterbacks constantly are practicing three-step, five-step, seven-step and everything is rhythm. One, two, three, release. Get back to a seven, first progression, second progression, My back's over here in case I don't have these guys open, and they're doing a great job in coverage. That's why you see certain quarterbacks like Roethlisberger, when they get back, and you know what the great ones do? And again, this all comes with guys being – that's why Pittsburgh never makes a lot of moves. You know what Big Ben does when he's back in a seven? Ben is notoriously awesome at this. Ben will slide and create passing lanes. He never goes up the field unless he's pressured. But Ben, what he does is, Ben creates passing lanes. See, when Ben slides like this, what does that do? It slides the entire defense. That means you've got a guy in a back throw. He'll slide this way. That means the defense has to slide. That means that back. When you see quarterbacks sliding like that and moving around like that, they're trying to give their receivers a little bit more. Maybe there's going to be a back There's going to be a backarm catch, okay, and they're going to throw that back pass. I love that pass, by the way, too. That's the quarterback sliding and giving his his receivers help and creating a passing lane. It's all technique. Okay, so here, here are some of the teams that I like. And I think the first one that I mentioned to you is probably going to be the most shocking one. Packers really didn't make a lot of moves, did they? They really didn't. They brought Aaron Jones back, which was essential. Um, As long as Aaron Rodgers is there, how do you flip a coin and go like this? I don't know. Packers got to be right there again for consideration for one of the better teams in the NFC, correct? I think so. I mean, unless – I mean, Rodgers has a great roster. Now, my question would be this coaching-wise. You give up that play before the half, that touchdown in the NFC title game. Then you don't go for it on fourth down in the NFC title game. And what makes that call even more insane, it's that dude over there, Brady, that you're doing that to. When Tom Brady saw that, what Matt LaFleur of the Packers did, he must have went, holy freaking hell, are you kidding me? You did that to me. You thought you were going to get the ball back with a guy who had won at that time six Super Bowls and all them conference championship games that he's been in. You were going to think you were getting the ball back, not going for it on fourth down in a conference title game, and you're at home. If I was Aaron Rodgers, I'd have went to the sideline and went, Hey, man, you got to have some onions when you're playing that dude. If it was any other guy on the planet, I would have said, okay, I get it. It's Brady. You were never getting that ball back. I I said it. I'm watching the game going, they'll never get the ball back. They will never get that ball back. And they didn't. So you got those two coaching errors. Will they get better? Guys, 26-6 and six over the last two years. Okay? I think Matt LaFleur will grow from that. I actually like him as a coach. So I would say this to you. Yes, I, I, I think those two guys get better. If Rodgers and these guys can have a big bro hug and these guys can, like, iron it out, Packers are going to be right there in the conversation again. They're going to be right there in the conversation. This team's going to be shocking, too, to you. Because I don't know if they have, I don't know if they have the signal caller. There was even a report today that this team was denying the fact that they had any kind of interest in Aaron Rodgers. And you know, one of the best teams that I think have one of the best rosters in the NFL. I think one of the teams that have a really great chance at making it to the conference championship game. It's got to be the Cleveland Browns. You want to hear a freaky stat about the Cleveland Browns. This is amazing. This is the first time since 1950. You heard me right. Since 1950, that for the third straight year, the Cleveland Browns will have a starting quarterback in three consecutive years on opening day, unless something freaky happens to Baker Mayfield. It's the first time since 1950 three years in a row, they'll have the same starting quarterback. I heard that stat. I was freaking out. I'm like, you're kidding. No wonder there's been so much inconsistency in the building. But look at the Browns. They go out and get Jadavion Clowney in the offseason. Now, look, I, I think Clowney is a good player. I don't think Clowney is a special player. He's never had 10 sacks season in his entire career since he came out of South Carolina. I think that he's a flash player, which means this. He'll be on the field for about 30 plays, 40 plays. Bam! Out of nowhere, he makes a play. And you're like this, wow. Holy cow. But then he goes dormant for the next 20. He's not a guy who just makes continue. Like Aaron, Aaron Donald makes plays every single day. Okay, just makes every single play happen. This Browns team has a great chance at doing some phenomenal things. Look at the running game they got. They got Chubb and they've got Kareem Hunt. And for the record, you know what I never really got out of that whole Kareem Hunt deal? So wait a minute. Kareem Hunt gets taken off that Kansas City Chiefs football team, right? He gets taken off that Kansas City Chiefs football team because of uh, behavior issues, right? The whole thing, kicking the girl and all that, right? So what happens with Kareem Hunt? John Dorsey, the then general manager of the Browns, what do they do? They give him a million dollars, which they basically gave him a raise, and now he's on a better team. Um, then could have been worse, right? You're on a hell of a football team now, the Browns. They put him in a position to now succeed. They gave him a raise. So Kareem Hunt basically was rewarded. He got more money, okay? Now, look, Chubb's the dude. I get it. But you got a two-headed horseman there. And Kevin Stefanski, the new head football coach who had a great year last year, he understood Baker Mayfield is not going to win us ball games. He's not going to win ballgames. If anything, he's going to throw us into trouble. So remember what I told you? Third and short, protect the ball, play lights out defense on that side of the ball, and Cleveland could have something special. My only concern with Cleveland, because they did some of the least stuff, getting Clowney was important, But for me, I think that these guys right here, I think these guys have one of the best rosters in the AFC. I like the Cleveland Browns, and I like the new head football coach. I don't like Baker Mayfield. Now, I'll say this to you about Mayfield. I think Mayfield has grown up, especially the last eight games. I thought he was a high school cheerleader playing quarterback. I did. The rah-rah stuff and all that other BS has no place in the NFL locker room. You know, getting in guys' faces. Shut up, dude. Play the position and win ball games. You know, you don't see the great players that play in that position and play in this league acting like that. Shut the hell up, okay? You're a distraction. And I thought he was immature, too immature to give the keys. But I, I, I said this, and I will continue to say this to you. I backed up on that because I saw some leadership. I saw some things that – he was able to do personally and it made himself a little bit better. I was thrilled for him and I was glad for him because they pick up the option, he's going to make 18.8 million dollars this year. Okay, he's going to make 18.8, and now they're talking about potential contract extension. Good for him. I think this roster is loaded. Seahawks. As long as nothing goes freaky with Russell Wilson, you heard some of the additions that Seattle made. They were subtle, but they have a core group of dudes. They needed a few guys here, a few guys here. I love DK Metcalf, okay? Their defense has to be a tad bit more stouter, but again, experience. Plus, they have a great head coach. I really love them. The number one team to me is the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers got all 22 of their guys back, plus Antonio Brown. And you get your coordinators, okay, back. Dude, there is no doubt that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the team to beat. And that football team has everything back. And you don't have Drew Brees in the NFC South you got Sam Darnold now in Carolina. I do think Atlanta's going to be better, but the Bucs, in my opinion, are the team to beat. All right. Carson Wentz goes from the Eagles to the Colts. We're going to talk to the head football coach of the Indy Colts, Frank Reich. We'll do that right after this here on the National Football Show.
3: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way.
4: Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you.
5: Seven, four, three. One, two, three. Because
4: Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia Bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud
0: sponsor of the Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
6: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
5: Jody Mad. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
2: Welcome back. Dan Silio here on the National Football Show. We're going to be joined by Frank Reich, the head football coach of the Colts here in a few. And we'll get his thoughts on what's coming up here on this Colts football team. by the way, I think Chris Ballard, the general manager, has done a marvelous job at putting that football team together. Look, I said it last year that I thought the Colts, when you look at the roster that they've assembled and put together, that that football team had one of the better rosters in the AFC. And, you know, I I just got through telling you that some of the teams that have made all of these moves that are adding to their roster, anytime you see a lot of those type of moves that have been made, traditionally that leads to inconsistency when you are trying to assemble a roster. So when you do all of that, again, you're putting a lot of doubt in players and in the locker room when you make all these massive decisions and you make all these new changes to your football roster. The number one thing coaches want to do today in the NFL when they're going into a draft, they want to build their football team completely from the draft. Why? They've scouted the guy. They've talked to the guy. They've worked with the guy. They want to try to build as much continuity inside the room as possible. And that's what Chris Ballard and that's what Frank Reich have done. And here he is right now, the head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts, my dear friend, Coach Frank Reich. How you doing, Coach?
8: Coach Cilio, how are you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Everybody Let's go. you don't like that kind of change in your roster. You want your dudes back.
8: Yeah, and well, you're right. Hey, I'll tell you what, we're excited about some of the some of the stuff we got going here. Chris Boward, right, is doing a great job. And you know we had we had to plug in some holes. Um, we had some serious holes. We had to plug in this off season. But Chris and his staff, we worked really hard at it, and done, and and really feel good about where we're at.
2: How about this, Frank? Let's start there. Um, Carson Wentz was he always going to be? And and, and I know you have so much respect for Philip Rivers, and you allowed that process to play itself out on what Philip wanted to do or not retire, go into coaching, what have you. Once that decision was made by Philip and you and him and Chris had a chance to talk, was Carson Wentz always going to be your number one priority or were you going to look at some of the college guys? How did you balance that?
8: Yeah, no, Carson was always, you know, when Philip made the decision that he made and, and boy, what, what a fun year that was with him. So just a quick shout out to Philip Rivers yes. because it was a great year. He had a phenomenal year and just it, it was, it was awesome. But once Philip made the decision to retire, you know, Chris and I got together and it's like, hey, if Carson is going to be available, then he's the guy. There's, and we, Chris and I were both in lockstep. Mr. Ursay was on board with that. So um, that made it easy.
2: The relationship that you had with the Eagles, did it make it a little easier in the dialogue, Frank, that you guys were able to have a dialogue going back and forth without having the media blow everything up? Because, look, you know this. In today's landscape with social media, you say one word publicly, oh, he hates it. Did that relationship really – that had to be a dynamic in this whole dialogue going back and forth.
8: Yeah, Dan, a good observation by you that actually I think really helped make what was going to be a hard deal to make. I think it made it, made it happen because of the you know mutual uh, love and respect for Howie Roseman and, of course, Nick Ceriani being there and then with Chris and I here. Um, you know, once once it became apparent that they were willing to play ball and that we were going to talk, um, you know, those kind of things. You know, it, it's going to get ugly no matter how. There's going to be stuff said in the media. So if if we can't agree that hey, we got to work through this in the right way, um, so hats off to Chris, you know, Ballard, but also hats off to Howie Roseman for how the two of those guys kind of really navigated the front lines as far as that negotiation.
2: How about this? So. Once you did get Wentz, the phone conversation between you and him, man, I'd like to have been like a fly on the wall, man. You guys just must have been so happy to be reunited again. Talk about that a little bit.
8: It's almost a little bit embarrassing to say how happy I was, you know, I mean, almost a little, it's a little corny, you know, I mean, I mean, you you know how it is. You get really close to guys and you get, I mean, I, I love all the players, but you know, I got really close with Carson. I mean, I, I was a big part of, you know, I was a big part of the equation drafting him in Philly, you know, when we all worked hard on that deal and um, felt like i developed a great uh, working relationship with him and a great friendship with him off the field. And so, yeah, um, yeah, you know, the X's and O's is great. I mean, let's face it. we lo- I love ball. I love competing, but it's, it's the dynamic of how, of how, um, important these relationships are and what they really do mean to you. That that winning is, you know, we know we're in a win-or-else business, but um, there there is something more to it. It is those relationships that you develop and so do have a very close relationship with Carson.
2: You know, Coach, I, I, I look at it like this, Frank, that offensive coordinators, and when we were talking uh, the other day and we had Bruce Arians on, and I asked him about that dynamic going from Jameis Winston – To Tom Brady I said because you guys what you just said Frank you build this relationship up you're in the room 12 hours a day with the guy you're in that constant conversation talking about winning football games it's more than just X's and O's isn't it it's about building a personal relationship because you have to be constructive but sometimes you also have to be in a position to tell the kid hey that's not cutting it this is what we need to do to get better Talk about that relationship that you have with Wentz, and why you think the dynamic will be better here in Indy than, unfortunately, it was at the end there in, in, in Philly.
8: Yeah, no, you're right. It, you do have to have. Uh, like I like to say, it, it's like you know, going to the bank, right? So you don't want to write checks that are going to bounce. So <laughs> you got to make uh, one of the ways I look at. You know, you make a lot of deposits, so. Um, as a coach, you pour your heart into the player. You give him love, support, encouragement, good coaching. Here's the fundamentals and technique. Do your job. Boom, boom, boom. Encour- all that affirmation. But then every now and then, you got to you got to coach them hard. You got to write a check. You got to you got to you got to get something better. And so um, that that's why that relationship and that trust is important. That you can't take it personal. And and I know Carson and I have that kind of relationship. You know that. Um, first of all it's going to be hey we're going to collaborate like 90 percent of this is collaborating you know player and coach together um, players and coaches together but there still is a pecking order right the coaches are still the coaches and so we make that clear around here but nobody's flaunting that it's just the way it has to be Um, somebody has to call the shot somebody at the time when they need to be called players are pros they understand that so um, but what helps is when you've when you've really poured into the relationship um, and the trust is there, it makes those hard conversations that much more palatable.
2: You know, your your progression, and I always tell people that assistant coaches in the NFL are gypsies, you guys go from one city to another, and Nick Sariani now is in Philadelphia. Frank, how tough was that transition? And I've talked to Parcells about this before. Going from number one headset, being the D coordinator, to being the guy – And having to manage the sideline, manage timeouts, doing that—that transition is a lot tougher than people think. When you're constantly, like you said, twelve hours a day as a coordinator, you're talking to Carson Wentz, but you also have a responsibility, Frank, on the other side of the ball. You got to do, and you have special teams, and you have your backs, and you're talking to your scouting department. All of that becomes as a head coach. Did you talk to uh, Nick a little bit about what that transition is going to be like for him too, as he took on the Philly Philly job?
8: Yeah, it is a big transition. And that's why, you know, that's why you got to have great people around you. You know, you got to have a great coaching staff. You got to have the support of the general manager and, you know, you got to be lockstep with him. Um, th- thankfully I have that here. We got a great staff here and Chris Ballard and I are in lock, lockstep. Um, and sure, you know, Nick and I, you know, worked together a lot of years, you know, uh, six years in this business as, um, as assistants and, and so on and so forth together. So when he took that step to Philly, yeah, we had all those conversations and Nick's going to do a great job. I'm super excited for him. He's a brilliant football mind. You know, he's got, I'm just excited for him. He's going to do a great job.
2: Who contacted you first from Philly? Was it the owner or was it the GM?
8: Uh, for Nick? Yeah. Um, it was the GM.
2: Huh? Well, wow. so, I mean, you told him, you got to hire my boy. You know, most well, you know that. let
8: me think, you know, actually, I think I, I can't remember. I, I did get a phone call from Mr. Lurie pretty quick. I can't remember which one came first. i I'm, You know, I have such a close relationship with those guys back there because I think, you know, obviously you had two really phenomenal years and, you know, winning the Super Bowl together. So, um, yeah, great relationship with 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 those men in that organization
2: your off season. You know, I tell people this coach, I I go like this. Don't ever look at just the draft because these guys, some of these dudes don't even have their helmets yet. Okay. To tell me how well these guys did you address needs. And then you also look at free agency. And because of COVID-19, Frank, I would think that because you looked at some of the free agents, you're getting guys 27 instead of 37. So because the cap came down $25 million worth, I mean, you're going to get some quality guys, how do you think your offseason went filling the roster up for 2021?
8: Yeah, I think it's gone very well. And it is it is a unique dynamic. Um, you know, everything from the draft and, the you know, the COVID and there's no there's no combine. You don't you know, you don't get to as many you don't get as up many up close and personal touches with the players. But then um, in signing free agents, you know, with with the cap coming down and, and, and all that stuff, it, it does create opportunities. I mean, we signed Eric Fisher today, you know, and um, you know, I think we got a really great player, obviously coming, he's coming off of an injury, um, but you know, that that presents a unique dynamic to fill a very important hole. Obviously we're optimistic that he'll heal quickly and, and be able to contribute a lot this year. Um, so feel great about the holes that we filled and the players that we required.
2: Speaking of COVID, a couple questions more here for you, Coach. Um, speaking of COVID here, being able not to go and be around some of the guys that you drafted or workouts and stuff, bringing free agents in. As you know, when you and I were were younger, you got you brought guys in on Tuesdays, players day off, and you work guys out. That's been kind of slow to a halt because of COVID-19. You know, having the accessibility, your off-season conditioning programs too, a lot of viral stuff that's out there when – you know, you have to do all your Zoom conferences. How's that dynamic played into preparing for a football season?
8: Yeah, you know what? It, it's it's been hard, but it's the same for everybody. And yep. here's the thing that here's the thing that's made it work. A uh, couple things. Number one, the players have made it work. You know, I mean, players have handled it like pros. You know, following the protocols, all the stuff, all the stuff that you know that you got to do in a pandemic um, to have an NFL season, and then now you're in the off season. And it's still, you know, hopefully we're getting towards the end of it, but you still got this stuff that we're dealing with and we have a responsibility to each other, to the public, right? You know, to do the right thing. So um, the the one solace in all this is, you know, as far as the competitiveness of it is, it's the same for everybody. So, you know, we like to talk about it like, hey guys, this this ain't, this is real. We have to deal with it. So let's just be pros about it and do our job and, and do it professionally. Do the protocols. Don't make them a distraction. Follow the rules and focus on what we can control. And I think players in – I know our players have done a great job like that. I think the league has done an outstanding job, you know, in the last 12 months dealing with it as well.
2: All right, I'm going to end it with this. I, I tweeted this out, and Boomer finally – he commented. He goes, please, no secrets, Not nothing about the elevator with me being – please, nothing like that. And so I said, no, 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 no. I said, but how about the Vic Cromberg?" Rides back up to New York with Pete Koch, who turned out to be the Swede in Heartbreak Ridge, right? And he was a first round draft choice. You hitching a couple rides. We're all sitting in that Vic (laughs) Cromberg. And here you go. Those
8: those are (laughs) great memories. Those those are great memories. That's what I love. That's what I love about this game. That's what kind of keeps you in it, keeps you young, keeps it fresh. Um, Those relationships, as you were saying earlier a minute ago um they go deep they run deep that's why it's always a pleasure to come back on your show and uh, and to reconnect
2: man we we're, we're lifetime friends frank i mean i've got my boys at the university of miami but i'll tell you what man all them great guys that carl bond a uh, uh, bond and all them guys and coach ross i still talk to and i love those guys we won the 19 i still got it up on the wall up there if you can see it up there my 19 1980- my 1983 ACC championship that we ended up winning. I have that bad dog up there, and it always brings me back to you. That was a great year that year. Coach, thank you so much for doing this. Always awesome, man. You're always spectacular to me. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Dan. You got it. Head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich. We'll take this quick time out to keep it here on the National Football Show.
3: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Hey. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way.
4: field of life first trust bank is there for you
5: Seven, zero, three. One, two, three. because
4: philadelphia dreams deserve a philadelphia bank the international brotherhood of electrical workers local union
0: 98 is a proud sponsor of the labor show with jay Doc and krause every saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m ibew local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry so when you're planning your next industrial commercial or residential project choose an ibew local 98 union contractor learn more at ibew98.org
6: the light from a star can take millions of years to reach earth so when you look at a star you're looking back in time But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
5: Jody Mad. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
2: Welcome back to the National Football Show. The place. Where you get the facts. All the conversation in the offseason about where Wentz was going to land, that interview just basically tells you the owner picked up the phone and called the Colts and said, Frank, how would you like Wentz? Oh, Urse, you want our offensive coordinator? You don't think there was that dynamic in this? When they realized that they were getting rid of Wentz immediately, they knew right then and there they were getting rid of Doug Peterson. When they called the Colts and the Colts said we're willing to deal for him, they fired Doug Peterson with the knowledge of knowing Nick Sirianni was going to go to the Eagles as their new head coach. There was, you know those stupid comments that were being made about Lincoln Riley? That was never going to happen. Nick Sirianni was the number one choice for the Eagles because the Wentz dynamic. They may have done the Rooney rule because they had to. But Nick Gianni, because of what Frank Wright's relationship with the Eagles, that guy was going to be the head coach no matter what, no matter what the job search said. The job was over with. It was working out the parameters around the Wentz deal that made that hire looked like there was a process am i wrong <laughs> you just heard it <clears throat> you just heard frank reich say the owner called him and then in the process frank must have went well nick seriani had you ever heard of that guy's name prior to doug peterson being fired Had you ever heard that? I never knew the guy's name. And I know Frank 35 years. I know Frank 35, we just found out that Wentz was top priority when he became available. That's why I asked the question, who contacted you first? Was it the GM or the owner? The owner, the owner. because the owner wanted to make sure that he could hire Sariani at the same time. He was getting two for one dealing the contract and the quarterback and getting a coach in return. Tell me I'm wrong. This thing was set in stone the day Phillip rivers. It was probably going to be that way anyway, but Frank Wanted Phillip to call his own shot. I'm out. That day, that day is when when, when, when Rivers announced his retirement, the owner of the Eagles got on the phone and said, we'd like to deal Wentz. Would you be willing to work the parameters? Yes, I would. Okay. I'd like – and in the process, Frank goes like this. Tell you what, you know you're looking for potentially a coach here. Because when Wentz was fired, Peterson was going to – when Wentz was kicked out, Peterson was next. Or vice versa, it didn't matter. They were both out. The front office of the Eagles had determined both guys were gone. As soon as the season was over, there was no debating – That stuff that you're hearing in the media was never happening because that's not what just was told to us. Carson Wentz was going to be the Colt quarterback the day that Phillip Rivers, and I I, I debate that. I say it's the final regular season game for him in Philly. And in the process, the owner of the Eagles goes. And then Frank, called, Frank told him, this guy's like me. You're really going to have a great relationship with him. And you can tell Frank has a strong relationship with Howie and with the owner. By the way, if anything happens to Frank Wright in Indianapolis, you know he's the next head football coach of the Eagles. Correct? Because you know what he did too in the process that you're always gonna remember, the Eagle owner? You took that quarterback off his hands. You took that QB off his hands. That's that buddy system that you always hear people talking about. That's what you find out here on this show. You know, it's funny too, our relationship goes back 35 years. I've known Frank a long time. Frank's been a gypsy in the NFL for a long time. He's been a backup his entire career. His relationships with people are some of the most important things. And he is a guy who just doesn't like to burn bridges. And the people that he burns bridges with are the people that are not gonna be important in his life because when you don't have people that are looking out for your best interest, you kind of move on from them i try to do that as much as i possibly can and you heard that now wentz and his success in indy what will it be and this is my opinion now i haven't talked to frank on what went wrong in philadelphia but here's what i think went wrong for carson wentz in philly so when you lose the most important relationship in your locker room on your coaching staff, your coordinators. You heard Bruce Arians here on the show a couple days ago talk about how important Byron Leftwich is the offensive coordinator and Todd Bowles is the defensive coordinator on how those guys are to their dudes. And there's a pecking order. You come into the head coach and you talk and you guys all talk together. Okay, what happened – That got fractured in Philadelphia. It got fractured. And one of the most important dynamics was taken away from Doug Peterson. Then get this, because of that strong, there's no question that Frank Wright had built up a great relationship with the general manager and the owner inside that building while he was there. And when you have that dynamic taken away, Doug was by himself. There was nobody in that room looking out for Doug Peterson in any way whatsoever. He was constantly being criticized by the general manager and owner on a weekly basis. There was nobody in that room like Frank could have went to the owner and said, ah, you guys ain't looking at it right here. Because they, look at what they did. They, he, the owner called him to see if he would take the quarterback. The general manager didn't call. The owner did. Think of that. I know how he has an ego, but the owner called. How he's going around telling people I made the deal? Not so, that's not what I just heard. That's not what I heard. So that whole thing fell apart. And what happened to Wentz? Communication was severed on what was being asked to him, which means this, your development stunts. I was at the University of Miami with Jimmy Johnson, Dave Wonstadt, Butch Davis, all the Campo, North Turner, all these guys. You're not going to have a stunted growth in the building when you have those guys in the building. You're not you're going to continually get better. When you go to a crappy organization with crappy coaches, all of a sudden your projection goes like this. <sighs> goes down. So this communication with the head coach, the team, and then you know what? You had another dynamic in the room. That dumbass thing with Nick Foles. Was in the conversation, and he, then you he had that cancer. Alshon Jeffries in there, oh, my guy, and you know, here's my here's my statue of Nikki. Shut up, dude. Just <laughs> be quiet. Catch footballs, which you couldn't in big games. So all of that started to. Re- then what happened? Here is a typical Carson Wentz series. Ball gets kicked to the twenty. He's got the back of the end zone to him. He's going back because he had trash cans to throw to as offensive skill set people with no running game. Hold on to the ball. Hold on to the ball. Hold on to the ball. Overthrow. Overthrow. Third and long. Sack. Field position. Back. Kick it. They have good field position. Score. How many times did you see that progression play out? Hold on to the ball. Hold on to the ball. Hold on to- when quarterbacks hold on to the ball like that, no one's getting open. He's thinking he's got to force the football in there. Instead of just throwing the ball away and letting your special teams take over, which they didn't have, he would take sacks. When you have a quarterback taking sacks and interception rate is high and he's getting hit, that's a fundamental issue that you have and the fact that you have personnel settings and groupings that aren't How many times did you get those receivers on the field at the same time after Frank Reich left? It was just a structural disintegration of the Eagles' offense. Then you started getting your left tackle injured. Then you started getting guys on defense hurt. Then your secondary started underperforming. Then you had Fletcher Cox out. And before you know it, when you have the injuries, inconsistency, a quarterback who's thinking he has to jam it in everywhere, bro, no wonder you're underwater. No wonder you're not winning ball games. And so every week, every week, and then you had the stupid Foles thing going on at the same time. I get he's never going to have to buy um, a sandwich at Gino's for the rest of his life. I get all that, dude. I get it. You know, he's a guy, you know, this guy, guy, hey, win a championship for the first time since 1906. I I get it all, man. Okay? I understand that. But Wentz is the better player. Wentz is the better talent. He just wasn't coached, and he wasn't. How about this? And it had nothing to do with Jalen Hurts, nothing to do with him. But you know what it does? It adds to the uncertainty of what they're trying to do. Instead of bringing in another wideout in the second round, they draft a quarterback. Why don't you just bring in a free agent? There's a ton of them out there in the open market. You could have brought Marcus Mariota in. God knows what the Raiders are doing there. Raiders have no clue what they're doing. You could have brought anybody in, but you drafted a guy. If it pissed off, what's his name, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I mean, Carson Wentz is still trying to figure out if he's a star in this league or not. And by the way, that year he played those 14 games and he was on his way to the MVP. You don't have a career in the NFL with 14 games. You have a career in the NFL where people evaluate you after 14 years. Not 14 games. That guy was still feeling his way through the league. And hirings happen. That's why I say what happened with the Bucs, they're not losing any of their coordinators. Look at that dynamic there. Now, look, it's Brady, so it's probably not going to play as much of a gigantic factor because it is Brady. But when you lose your coordinators, man, that's a dynamic that completely can unravel a team. The Eagles unraveled massively. Right there, they unraveled. So we learned this. By the way, I think he's going to have great success because I think Frank is going to stabilize Carson Wentz and Indy. Hey, don't worry about this year. If we win 10 ball games, great. If we win nine ball games, great. Don't worry. This is about a career, not a year here. And Frank's great at this. Remember, back to Boomer Sison in college. Jim Kelly for years in Buffalo. Frank's patient. The Eagle organization's not patient. Frank was really the guy, it looks like to me, in the room that kept everything calm. I think Wentz is going to do well in Indianapolis. We shall see. It's going to make for a great storyline. Tomorrow on the program, we will have from Fox Sports, NFL, Dave Wonstadt. We'll break it all down with him as the National Football League. I got to tell you, man, they got some great storylines. Till tomorrow, 4 to 6, Eastern. Keep it right here on the National Football Show